Coming live from Columbus, North Carolina, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And before I move forward, may I request you to subscribe, follow, like, and comment on, which, on whichever platform you are watching or listening to this show on. And today we have Matt Lobel, founder Plane, uh, on the show. Welcome to the show, Matt. Oh, thank you very much for having me on here. Really, uh, really happy to have a conversation with you today. Thank you, Matt. We are also very happy that you could join us today. So we will be talking about, you know, Web3, the next entrepreneurial playground, if it is like that, and also the shift from Web 2.0 to 3.0. So how does this happen? Uh, how did this happening? You are a very integral part of this whole ecosystem. So can you tell us first, Matt, for a lot of viewers who do not perhaps understand too much about technology, what is Web 2.0, which we are in present, and what is Web 3.0, and why is it important? Well, sure. Um, web, uh, the internet in, in general, has kind of gone through um, multiple shifts. Um, when I was first creating websites, it was a static information delivery. So you had websites for companies, you had websites to uh, gather information, disseminate information, but there wasn't anything transactional about the space, really. And um, as the uh, Internet progressed, it became more and more transactional to the point where uh, some people really never go into stores. They just conduct all of their e-commerce online or all of their commerce online, I should say. They're buying and getting things delivered to them, etc. They're able to uh, do a bunch of actions online through software as a service companies. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's where a lot of us sit right now. And we're moving into a, um, a new phase. And, and I'm not necessarily, uh, I, I think Web3 is thrown out a lot. And I don't think many of us really have defined it in our minds uh, as to what it is. But let's call it um, a new progression of transactional space. Uh, for Just so I could throw out something really... Um, uh, really kind of uh, techie sounding out there. But basically what we're talking about is building on blockchain and blockchain is a ledger technology. And so basically it is like a book, an electronic book that records every transaction, kind of like when you would see an old school accountant and they're writing each transaction down on a single line of a page. That's kind of a... Uh, electronic version of it is what blockchain is. Every transaction is written down. It's what we call immutable. It can't change. And it's a permanent record of the transaction. So right now, what we're doing in Web3 is we're figuring out ways to leverage that um, through things we call, uh, you know, catchphrases you'll hear like trustless transactions. In other words, you don't have to trust the person that you're doing business with, okay. you simply know that the transaction is there because it's written down in a permanent format. Okay, so are we so sure about blockchain as a technology that we are shifting the whole internet ecosystem into Web 3.0? How does us individual consumer like me 
who thinks what's wrong with the present system everything is all right what is it that is going to add to my life and how is it that i don't need to now uh too much think about the person but i can trust this technology uh, can you help us understand from a simple man's understanding especially for a lot of people in india who are you know dealing with new technologies day in and day out and this new thing is coming in well you know a, a lot of it is the the reason you even have to ask that question right now to be quite honest is because it's not mature right okay. um because it's not at the point where it's just seamlessly integrated into life but it will be um a lot of this is going to happen behind the scenes a lot of this is going to happen in ways that that i won't even be aware of you won't be aware of they're just going to be a part of a company's back end um they're they're going to be um environments where uh they leverage technology i.e. blockchain in ways to make um transactions more efficient but where it's going to really impact uh you know day-to-day -day lives is um in banking because uh there are um I I don't remember the figures right now but there are an insane amount of unbanked people people who have no access to any sort of banking um but on their mobile phones they're going to have access to um to crypto technology that will allow them to transact in a way that they would traditionally in a bank so i'd say that's probably going to be the biggest impact globally that um that this technology will have um of course in my space what it's doing and and I'm in the gaming space for for folks right. who are unaware but in the gaming space what it's doing is it's allowing um what i call sustainable wealth within games so if somebody is um in a game and they're playing the game they actually can own the assets um and what i mean by that is you know if you have a a piece of property in the real world you own it you can sell it you can rent it you can do what you want with it the same will be true of assets in games in virtual environments so whether that's a metaverse a game or or what have you there can be true ownership because these records are written on the blockchain so um it's having a pretty dramatic impact in in my space um but uh it's it's eventually going to underpin just about everything it's just a more efficient way to do things right right i'll come down to you know the gaming part of it and your ecosystem uh mad uh now you have been into this industry for a long long time you are a uh, you have a great understanding about how all these things work how they operate how they are changing so you also talk about web3 as the next entrepreneurial playground why do you think so can you help us understand that part because from my perspective if you ask if you see i think okay it's going to open up new systems new people can start businesses uh, new uh, entrepreneurship can come in a lot of people can get into business small business especially freelancers you know professionals and they can go, go get get doing about their business without you know uh, like it will be better than before so how do you see it can you help us understand this well it's it's funny because i watched the internet evolve I, i'm i'm 52 years old and uh, i created one of the first 500 commercial websites in existence so wow. 
I, I got to watch the internet, which everybody said, you know, that's the entrepreneur's playground. And that's, you know, where everybody can invent businesses and people did. And you see that now we're in a mature state when it comes to, to the web. And this really is a entrepreneurial dream when you see a revolution of, uh, you know, a new paradigm coming into existence. So right now what you see is chaos. Um, and, and that's what you always see when you have something brand new open up and everybody's excited and everybody wants to get in. Um, what you see a ton of right now, for example, are people trying to create NFTs because they said, oh my gosh, look, these NFTs were selling for so much money. You know, we've, we've got to get in, we've got to get our piece of the pie. And so you see a bunch of people create NFTs. Um, but of course, as you and I know, having lived a little bit, by the time everybody's excited and they're all rushing in, the space is done. <laughs> so, right. you know, right. for example, NFTs, um, there are so many dead projects out there that, that just aren't worth even looking at right now. Um, and a, a lot of the people who got in didn't understand what they were getting into. They just like, right. I'm going to mint this and it's going to sell, you know, just by virtue of the fact that it exists. And that doesn't, that's doesn't work. So I think we're at that point in the game where, uh, people have to have truly unique ideas. They have to have a vision. So it is a great environment for an entrepreneur. Um, it's not a great environment for just everyday people who don't understand the technology and are just looking to get in a piece of the action or get a piece of the action, if you will. Um, so yeah, I, entrepreneurs, this is definitely the time. Um, and I think for other folks, they ought to look at how they can leverage the technology to benefit themselves. For example, getting into stable coins and being able to stake them to earn interest. Um, there's a lot of access to tools right now um, that have never been able to be accessed uh, by everyday people um, previously. You know, when could you ever go into a bank and make 18% interest on an asset? It, it's never happened. I mean, that's never been a thing. Last time I checked, my bank was offering about one or 2%. And, and, and that's right now considered a pretty good rate. Um, right. But I can take my stable coins, stake them, and I can earn 15 to 20%. Right, right. Now, Web3, uh, web if, if you can tell uh, uh, me, uh, Matt, that for a person who has an online store right now, and what difference will it bring to his life when Web3 actually comes into existence? So for that person, it you know it may or may not have a huge impact. Um, okay. I think that it's gonna have an impact on the payments uh, because you're gonna take payments in, in ways that you probably didn't think of before. You're you know, a, a store owner online um, in India uh, was just thinking in terms of rupees. That's, that's how I was going to accept payments and perhaps, uh, and I know there are some digital currencies that are very popular there as well. So they might've opened up to, to a couple of the digital currencies, um, you know, a couple of the payment applications, but now they have to start thinking in terms of, am I going to accept Bitcoin? Am I going to accept uh, ripple? Uh, you know, you name it. There's, there's a, a ton of different currencies out there. Um, right. and, and if I'm going to accept it, why? Like, don't accept it just because it's cool to accept it. Figure out why. What benefit is it 
is it having? Are you going to store your uh, your shop's earnings in um, Ripple, for example? If, if that's the case, then why not accept Ripple to begin with so you don't have to convert your currency? Um, and, you know, you have to have then a reason of why you're converting to Ripple. Are you staking those coins? Is there some intrinsic value? So I really think that from a business owner standpoint, it comes back to the same question that we always have as business owners. What is the value to me? Um, and that was the crux of your question. But I, I have to punt on that a little bit and say, um, it's going to be a different answer for every business. Some businesses, there will be no intrinsic value uh, to Web3. It will just be something that is... Um, like I said before, in the background, helping them to operate more efficiently, perhaps. Right, right. Uh, okay, I get it. So let's now move on to the gaming part that you are in. Can you tell us about the playing ecosystem, Matt, for us to understand? Gaming, I also understand, though I don't play uh, you know, online games and all. Only I, offline games that I used to play, and nowadays I try to try to find time to do that, but I don't. But online, I don't. But for a lot of people who are, you know, fanatics of online gaming and on, can you tell us about what you do, why you do, and how you do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we talked about how Web3 can have an impact in different industries. And gaming is definitely one of those industries where it has a large impact. Um, and the reason initially was, hey, we could we being game developers, everybody's, oh, we can sell NFTs to our customers and they're going to buy them because it's cool. And, and I'm simplifying it, but honestly, that was the thought process for a lot of game companies. And there really wasn't, um, in my opinion, there wasn't a lot of value to NFTs at that point. Um, it was really just a, a money grab by developers. Um, what we're doing is we're integrating ownership and that's really what we're talking about and that's really what players were excited about initially was owning like if you aj in a uh, in a uh, game that you were playing found a really cool sword um you know you don't really own that right now in most games you your character has it um but when you get done playing the game uh what you have gotten from the game is enjoyment pure and simple. There is no, no monetary gain. There is no material gain. You have just hopefully enjoyed playing a game. Now, what we're able to do is take that a step further and say, okay, well, you've got a time invested investment in this game. We're going to give you ownership of the things that you find in the game. Okay. And you're going to be able to store that value on the blockchain so that it's immutable. You know, it can't change. And you're going to be able to do things with those assets. So if you find that sword, for example, now it's your sword. You can go into the auction house in our game and you can sell the sword. When the sword sells, the money that it sells for goes to you. You can take that money out of the game and you can convert it to fiat currency, if you'd like, or to another cryptocurrency. So this is where we actually have value inside the game. Now, what you'll hear a lot of in our industry is play to earn. That's a, a very common expression, play to earn. And it gives the impression that you literally can be paid for playing a game. 
And unfortunately, there are some business models out there where that's exactly what they're doing. Um, but those business models are not sustainable. I'm here to tell every one of your listeners, you cannot simply pay players to play a game and expect your business model is going to, to live very long. What kept a lot of these games afloat was the money was co- that was coming in was greater than the money going out. Right. But with this, what we called it a crypto winter or a bear market or whatever you want to call it, uh, you're seeing a lot of these uh, uh, games, which I look at them more as gambling than actually games, but you, you see a lot of them having financial problems. What we're doing differently at Playin is we're monetizing our games in the old-fashioned way. We are simply making them free-to-play games, and we're offering subscriptions in the game, um, and uh, we're offering cosmetics in the game, because these are revenue models we know that work. Right. And then what we're doing is we're telling the players, you own what you find in the game, and you can sell it inside our auction house. Now, from a game development standpoint, we're benefiting because we're taking an auction house fee, just like you would for an out, you know, an outside the game auction house. So we get a cut of successful auctions. Players get 90% of the revenue from any auction that they make. And so what you wind up with is a transfer of funds inside the games from player to player and an ability for a player to accumulate a store of value inside the game. And then when they choose, take that money outside of the game and convert it into, like I said, fiat currency or another crypto. Right. Right, Max. So tell, uh, tell me about this, that how is it your ecosystem different than the traditional places uh, that a person like me would know that this is the place I need to play, go and play some games. I go and play some games and come out of it. I see a lot of kids, a lot of young people do doing that. Now, why would they come to your website and play the games? What is the differentiator and who are your main competitors then? Sure. Um, I would say that, first of all, what we're creating, and, and again, I want to be clear that we are creating this. We have our first game as a playable alpha right now. It's a massively multiplayer real-time strategy game. Um, and uh, what we're doing is we're creating an ecosystem. So that's very important to note because um, most of the games you're going to, like Axie, for example, are single games um, okay. put on top of a blockchain. So if you don't like the game, you don't really have another option to go to. You have to go to a different uh, game developer. What we're planning here is six verticals. And by a vertical, I mean like a role-playing game is one vertical. Um, Real-time strategy would be another vertical. Um, That sort of thing. Survival games, another vertical, et cetera. So six verticals with 10 games in each vertical. So the idea is that If you're a fan of first-person shooters, you can find a first-person shooter in our ecosystem to play. And then when you're done playing that, let's just say you've decided, you know what, first-person shooters are no longer my thing. I want to go to tower defense games. You'll be able to find a tower defense game uh, on on our setup as well. And then what we're doing is we're underpinning the entire thing with a metaverse. So 
not only will you be able to collect a bunch of things within games and own them and sell them and potentially, you know, store and earn value, but you'll also be able to meet your friends in the metaverse and show them what you've got um, in a shared environment, even if they never play the tower defense game that you, you love so much. Um, okay. You know, you'll have that shared environment. So what's unique about what we're doing is we're binding all of those together so that you can literally take objects from one game world, bring them into another game world, bring them into the metaverse and make them transportable. Uh, that is a unique thing for us. The closest that I've seen out there right now is a company called Gala Games. They're doing a lot of things very well, but they're not tying things together the way we are in any way, shape or form. They just have a bunch of games that are very good games that are relying on um, external sales, or I, I should say sales external from the game. In other words, you can buy things before you go into the game. Okay. Okay. Matt, you said they are transportable. Uh, what does that mean? Means uh, I understand I share something with my friends uh, that I like and it is easily uh, shareable. But when you say it is transportable, what does it mean and where can somebody share it? Sure, that's a great question. Um, we're creating objects under what we call, the well, not we call, it's called the USD standard. It was created by Pixar uh, and NVIDIA. And what it is is a graphical standard that is um, universal or can be universal. Um, and what we're the reason that we're doing that is we'll take that sword example that that I talked about before. You get this sword; it's right. in um, in one of our games. What we would ideally like is for you to be able to take that sword and bring it to another game. So okay. let's say, for example, we have a first-person shooter. And you have the sword that's in um, Darklin Wars and you want to bring it to the first person shooter. You could take that asset and transport it into the other game. Now, I will say there is a caveat because we don't want to destroy the game experience in one game by bringing another game's assets in. We will have to be designing those assets so that they transform to fit the new game's environment. Um, but you will be able to do that and you will also be able to bring them into the metaverse where they will exist the same way they exist in the game that you found them in. Okay. Okay. That sounds very interesting. Does it mean that, you know, if you can uh, have a Superman enter into a Spider-Man's game? Yeah. And, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Now, again, we, we will reserve the right to change um aspects of the visuals um, and also change game balance uh, aspects of items as they go from one uh, one game to another game because we don't want to destroy. We, we're, we look at it as uh, a game as a story, if you will. And um, you want to keep your stories consistent. Uh, now, some stories are inherently inconsistent, right? You think of Alice in Wonderland and you have a caterpillar smoking a hookah on top of a mushroom, and then you go in and you have playing cards in another scene. So it's it's inconsistent intentionally, um, but most games are consistent intentionally. And so we're not going to destroy that consistency by transporting objects. We'll have those objects fit the world they transport into. Okay. Uh, now, suppose I am not from a... 
uh, any gaming community how does a person who is playing a game on any of the platforms share it with me now i don't go to those platforms i am on say traditional platforms like facebook instagram whatsapp and you know all these platforms linkedin and all so how does somebody tell me about that game does the word transportable operate here too um from a, a transportable doesn't really cover platforms in the sense of you know becoming uh, something you can put into Facebook, for example. Okay. Facebook okay. would have to, um, and and let's let's think of it in terms of Meta for a moment, okay. because they're they're trying to become a a metaverse company. Um, if they design their system to be able to handle USD objects, then yes, we are transportable into their environment. So it's. Open standards are simply something that exists to allow companies to adopt them. Um, we're choosing to adopt the USD open standard. Um, if Facebook through Meta uh, adopts a, an open standard as well, then yes, they would be compatible. Okay. And in your system, ecosystem is based on purely on blockchain. We're we okay. So here's kind of the the thing. Yes, um, all of our objects, all of our uh, monetization, that is all based on blockchain. But we're not trying to tell people we are a blockchain uh, company. What we're telling people is we're a game company, and right. we're building our games with a vibrant blockchain backend that allows for these additional features that they wouldn't normally be able to have in a standard game but you're going to find our games in the uh, google play store you'll find our games in apple app store uh will be downloadable um on all of the traditional distributions uh distribution methods that you're used to um but what i tell people is we connect into the blockchain but we are not a blockchain game. Like you're not going to open up your browser and play a game of ours in your browser. Uh, first of all, because your browser couldn't handle them. <laughs> okay, they're going to be AAA okay. style games. So you mean you not even 5G technology, or is it you need some uh, other uh, facility for that? So we're going to be uh, all of our games are going to be mobile uh, games with a desktop. Uh, or you would go on to the apple app store and download it there or you would download it onto your desktop those would be your options to play it um okay. the the problem with the browser is it's just not very good at rendering things okay okay, okay. now uh tell me how is it going to change the gaming industry do you think all other players, because of the transportability factor, uh, the traditional players who have been making their games in their you know, standalone games, where Superman will remain Superman and no sword can come inside that game. So will they be forced? Do you see that that blockchain will come into existence into those games? Will it change the future of the gaming industry? Well, let me answer that question in, in, a, in a slightly different way. Um, if I told you I'm going to sell you a car and you have a choice between two cars, both cars are going to be fun to drive, but the one on the left is going to give you money while you drive it. 
and the one on the right is not. Or if I said the one on the left, you're going to own it completely, but the one on the right, you're only going to own parts of it. You're going to pick the one that you own. You're going to pick the one that you uh, are able to potentially earn money from. Uh, And that's going to be the same with games. Will they destroy games that don't do this? No, I'm sure there's going to be games that will do just fine in traditional revenue models without any blockchain component. But more and more players are going to decide to play games where they have the true ownership of the assets. It's, It's just inevitable. Right, right. Now, Matt, all these transactions, and and that's the business model, if I understand, will happen in crypto. Am I right? Uh, We have what's called a dual token economy, if you will. Um, And inside of the games, you're going to transact in the game currency. And then that currency has a direct uh, relationship to GMG, which is our cryptocurrency. So, they will transact behind the scenes in crypto. Um, but in the game, you're actually going to have the experience of transacting on the in-game currency. In-game currency, which is, which is like my, if, uh, if I'm in India, it's, it's going to be Indian national rupee, uh, your local currency. Is that what you mean? Okay, no. Um, let, me, let me explain it this way. So in Darkland Wars, inside the game, we have something called Darkcoin, which is the in-game currency. It's a fake currency. It's just for for playing in the game. You get it by killing monsters. Um, It will then transpose to GMG if you want to take money out. So if you want to take money out, 250 Darkcoin will turn into one GMG. And GMG is the crypto. And GMG can then be converted into rupee or into dollars or whatever you would like to convert it into. What? A fake fake coin gets transferred, changed into GMG? I should should never fake coin. No, no, no. It's not fake. It's just like somebody who plays, that's the currency to just... Have and yes, you know play games on the internet. That's the currency that that the uh, the dark coin inside of that particular game because each game will have its own in-game coin. Um, that coin is what trans uh, transposes directly into GMG at a two hundred and fifty to one ratio. See, here's okay. here's kind of what happens. Um, whenever a game is launched in our ecosystem, we take GMG, which is our our internal, our, sorry, our crypto coin, and we back the game with it. We put it underneath the game, if you will. And what that does is that then allows us to print, if you will, or mint the, the in-game currency for players to be able to earn. And that is what players um, inside the game utilize. They don't use GMG inside the game. But that GMG is always sitting underneath the game, providing the value to the game. It's a liquidity pool. So it makes sure that when the player says, I'm done, I want to cash out, that there's money there always for them to be able to cash out with. How do they cash out? They would cash out by simply converting their in-game currency into GMG, which again, that GMG is always underneath it. So that's always available to cash out and they change it to GMG. 
And then at that point, they uh, they would go to a swap site and they would swap their GMG for uh, rupee, for uh, another cryptocurrency, whatever they desire to swap to. Okay. Okay. My last question, Matt, for today evening is that with cryptos at the moment, you know, a lot of people are uh, watching it very closely. Crypto is, uh, as far as I know, is having a difficult time at the moment. Uh, uh, if I if I say so, that's what, what I last saw of, you know, there was a lot of talk. So how do you see this gaming industry, your type of ecosystem based on a technology which is blockchain, which is, I guess, which is much more formidable, but crypto based on a crypto uh, cryptocurrency as such, if we can call it a currency, how do you see it panning out? How do people, uh, you know, get that trust that there will be stability with these sort of things, uh, you know, being part of an ecosystem in the times to come? Okay, so there's a couple of questions really in there. Um, first, viability. Let's let's think about viability because trust is based on viability. Right. Um, you have a lot of institutional money coming into cryptos. Um, a lot of huge companies investing in them. Uh, I'm but, not going to. Sorry, sorry not, to interrupt, but there are yeah. more than eight thousand. Uh, crypt, uh, cryptos yes. at the moment means it's that's that's mind-boggling. How do I decide? I just know of uh, of you know a couple of them, Bitcoin and, and a couple of others. Use case. Yes. If if it doesn't have a use case, don't invest in it. <laughs> I mean, okay. and, and that's what it comes down to. If if I were, um, because if you look at stocks, for example, there's thousands of stocks available that you could purchase, and right. if somebody said to you. Hey, I've got a company here that's going to cure cancer, um, and uh, and you can invest in its stock. You'd be like, "Yeah, sign me up," because that's got a use case to it. Right. But if I said to you, uh, "Hey, here's a company over here that's blowing up helium balloons and launching them into the sky," you'd be like, "Okay, I'm not going to buy their stock." Then it will be a nutcase. Yeah, it, there's no use case for it. So, so crypto is no different. And and what you've had for a long time is people throwing money into it because everything was grow, going up because people were throwing money into it. Right. So now what you've got is you've got people not throwing money into it. And so you've got to start to look at use cases. For example, um, I'm uh, in... Uh, Cardano. That's that's where the majority of my stake is right now in crypto, because there's a lot of use cases for it. They just opened up a, a payment gateway that that allows millions of people to use it for payments. They're distributing to many, many, many uh, underserved countries, um, and so there's a lot of different use cases for it. Um, I don't invest in anything that doesn't have a use case. Um, so when you look at, at individual cryptocurrencies, and I want to be clear, we're not looking for people to invest in GMG. Now, I do I think it's going to do great? Yeah, because of the way we've set up supply and demand. But what we're really looking to do is we're looking to have people come into our games. And and so you're, it's a game uh, investment. It's not a, a crypto investment. And so that's all I would say is, is people need to look at use cases. Now, is it possible that, that crypto uh, crashes further? 
it's possible. <laughs> I mean, it's an inst- it, it, it's very unstable. Um, I mean, from an investment standpoint, long term, I think it's it's completely great. And I think people are going to look at this particular correction and say, that was like a Black Friday sale on crypto. I should have bought. <laughs> um, nice. I mean, that's what I did. I, I bought, uh, I've, you know, we're trading right now our uh, Cardano at around 50 cents uh, a, a token. And, and I purchased uh, down around 43 cents uh, because I looked at it and I was like, wow, it's on sale. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's all perspective, right? If you bought, if you bought when it was at a dollar sixty, you're pulling your hair out right now. So, um, it's all perspective, and and a lot of it's controlled by institutional investors. And the fact that there are so many institutional investors should give people a little bit of comfort because those guys don't lose money a whole lot. Right, right, Matt. I I get your uh, point of view. I get a better understanding that than I had before this show, though I still have so much to learn. I don't know much about this space, but more I talk to people like you, I understand a lot of people in India also uh, get to understand better perspective, wider views from across the world, and that will help them to make their own independent decisions. But I understand one thing that, as you said, that there is something big happening, better happening we can expect in the coming future. And at the present, that all that chaos is just a part of that. That's that's a great way to summarize it. Um, with great change always comes a lot of chaos. And um, and it's kind of the process of sorting things out. Right, right. We will continue to keep talking to you and understand uh, whatever we can make out of all this chaos as time goes by. This is just the beginning, but not the last of our conversations. With this, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. 